It came to pass the day after that Jesus went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bear, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. This is the gospel of the Lord. It came to pass soon afterwards, perhaps the next day, that Jesus went into a city called Nain, and his disciples went with him followed by a great multitude. Jesus had been thronged, as we might say, by multitudes pretty continuously since the choosing of his 12 apostles. As he drew near to the gate of the city, there was carried out one that was dead, the only son of his mother, and many people were with her. Places of burial were generally outside city walls for fear of pollution. There was extreme sorrow as the woman was a widow, and obviously she had been dependent on his support. Her son had comforted her in her first loss of her husband, and now he was dead. There was none left to comfort her. The entourage met Jesus as he was entering the city with his disciples, so there were many people following him. As Jesus had no other business in Nain but to do good, Perhaps he went there simply to comfort the forlorn mother. Coffins were rarely used by the Jews, so the body of the young man was probably wrapped in linen and lying on a stretcher of boards. Jesus touched the bear, and the bearers stood still. No doubt Jesus was known to many in Nain, thus it was appropriate for them for the bearers to stop. We don't know that Jesus had raised the dead prior to this, but we do know that he had healed many diseases among people. So maybe the people of Nain had a reasonable expectation that he would do something. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, showing not only life, but that his health and strength were restored. And we are told Jesus gave him back to his mother. And fear took hold on everyone because the power of God had been so signally manifested among those there. In wisdom and miracle, Jesus outshone all God's former messengers, we are told. This great miracle caused the fame of Jesus to fill all Judea and Galilee. It is even said that the news reached John the Baptist in his prison on the east of the Dead Sea. What a memorable story. 
and one to fill us with hope and faith. And with this great outcome, it can make us think of the humanity of God in respect of our own lives. My theme this week for Start Stop, our regular Tuesday morning opportunity for our many morning passers-by to drop in and reflect for 10 minutes, was the reading from Luke. But the one about the joy of the shepherd finding the lost sheep, the woman finding the coin, and also the lost son, things that were precious to those who had lost them. And God delighted in the joy expressed and the parties that took place. Every time someone returns to God, the angels rejoice. We ourselves here today need to know that God seeks us and waits for us to turn to him. God delights in our love and offers us his love and life eternal. Does that sound in this sort of secular world of work and pressure patronizing and unrealistic? God does not force any of this on us, but he will always seek us and our love forever. But how do we respond to this and fit God into all our busy lives? A study by the Chartered Institute of Personal Development, of which I am a fellow, has recently published the results of a survey entitled Making Work Meaningful. The study uncovered five key qualities of meaningful work. And to my mind, they key in very well with us all, whatever stage of work life or retirement we may have or have not yet reached. They also resonate as we pray God to help us through dark times when we feel abandoned and forget he is always with us. First in their list is self-transcendent. Individuals, it is said, tend to experience their work as meaningful when it matters to others more to themselves. The second is poignant. Meaningfulness is not always a positive experience associated with a sense of joy or happiness. There are moments associated with mixed or even painful thoughts. Nurses talk about profound meaningfulness when they are able to ease the passing of patients at the end of their lives. Next is episodic. Rather than being an enduring feeling, there are instances of feeling a sense of meaningfulness. These are not forced or managed, and very few arise through the actions of leaders or managers, which is saying something about leaders or managers. And then reflective. Meaningfulness is rarely consciously experienced in the moment, but in retrospect, when people at work can see their completed work and connect it to a wider sense of life meaning, that's when it rings true with them. And of course, there is the personal side. Meaningful work is often understood in the context of personal life experiences. Managers and organizations matter very little at these times. And at the other end of the spectrum, the factors driving meaninglessness at work are those mainly in the control of managers and leaders. Their seven deadly sins are taken for granted 
treating people unfairly, allocating pointless work, overriding people's better judgment, unnecessarily pe putting people at risk of physical or emotional harm, disconnecting people from supportive relationships, and disconnecting people from their very own values. And as a priest and former businesswoman and CEO myself, I see all this very often in those who come to me, not just in the city, but in many institutions. And dare I say it, also in the church, as well, of course, with those who return to work after shattering experiences. But God, of course, remains in the wings. We just need to reach out and pray. The theologian Karl Barth, in his writing on the humanity of God in 1916, cited an old theology that was about a God who was absolutely unique in his relation to man and the world, but overpoweringly lofty and distant, strange and even wholly other. As one might anticipate, the outbreak of the First World War changed very, very much his views, causing Bath and others to alter the attitude that people viewed the deity of God in isolation and abstracted. The point was reached where it was recognized that in Jesus Christ, there is no isolation from God, or God from any of us, men or women. Rather, in him, people encounter the history, the dialogue in which God and his people meet together and are together. And God meets us all in the existence of Jesus Christ. As Jesus says, every time a sinner repents, there is delight and joy in heaven. Every time someone returns to God, the angels rejoice. We all need to know that God seeks us and waits for us to return to him. God delights in us and offers us his love and life eternal. Does this sound in this world of work and pressure patronizing and unrealistic? God does not force any of this on us and he will always seek us out. He could replace us, but does not because each and every one of us is precious in his eyes. And that's what our reading is about today. Lord, when I am confused, guide me. When I am weary, energize me. Lord, when I am burned out, infuse me with the light of your Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>